This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Diversity at Facebook is a big issue. So I asked John Lax how having a diverse workforce affects what Facebook creates. We are designing for the world here, and the world is not comprised of one type of person. Diversity is essential for having us think about different voices, different opinions. Otherwise, we end up designing from one point of view, which is just not the way we're going to be able to connect the world. So diversity is, is hugely important uh, to achieving our mission of connecting the world. We need as many different voices to helping us build a product for all the different people in the world. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 12 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. The holidays, of course, are in full swing, and no other email service provider is better when it comes to functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. That's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it easy for you to find that domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're still holding steady with 40 patrons for a total of $268 a month. Again, I want to thank all of you who have pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any kind of value from listening, please do consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, your patronage is super important and you'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes. Uh, You'll get free revision path goodies based on the pledge level that you uh, pledge at. Just go ahead and head over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 a month and it's a great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. So this is part two of our interview with product and systems designer, Kai Jacobs. Let's start the show. So how you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a complex question, right? For everybody right now. Uh, well, I'm sure that, um, yeah, everyone's probably dove, in, dove deeply into what it feels like uh, to be in the States right now, a black person, a marginalized person, uh, a thinking person, and dealing with the reality of, uh, of our political and electoral system. But I'm, I'm one of those people outside of the U.S. And I have a feeling it's a slightly different experience. What is it like now over there? I'm, I'm really curious because I know that here in the United States, there's a lot of a lot of emotion going on. Clearly, uh, Trump has been able to tap into a vein of rancor that has been building and bubbling and boiling in this nation for for years. You know, 
mostly precipitated by President Obama's election and re-election, mm. uh, and has used that to propel him to victory. And because of that, now there's a lot of emotion. There's there's people are going through every single stage of the Cuba Ross <laughs> model of grief. I'm <laughs> somewhere between bargaining and acceptance at this point. Yeah. Um, what is it like over there? Because I don't know if 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 a lot of people here realize just how much how just they don't realize the shockwaves that our presidential election has throughout the rest of the world. Right, right. Not only the presidential election, but everyday American political and commercial maneuvering around the world has uh, an impact on these countries that are very far, you know, geographically speaking, very distant from the U.S. So people are highly aware of the political situation uh, in the States. They're highly aware of, well, that's about all they're highly aware of. Let's say they're, they're highly aware, but they may not be uh, they may not have a very detailed understanding of the nuance of the reality. Um, of course, American policy has so many effects on the environment that affects the, the globe, mm-hmm. on the global economy, uh, even yeah, setting political trends and um, and other uh, yeah, other ways of impacting other countries around the world. So here, I'm in the Netherlands. For example, I went to work uh, on Wednesday morning. So that was exactly when all the results were kind of coming in Tuesday night, late Tuesday night in the States. And uh, people were looking at me kind of like, uh, I don't know, man, it, they, they were they were on pins and needles. Uh, they were afraid in a way to to ask me how I was doing because they have a sense of the ridiculous nature of what happened. Uh, they don't have a sense of what it means as a black American they, there's no way they can have a sense of, of the kind of threat that it posed to, to the safety of our bodies. Uh, they probably don't have an intricate uh, and detailed sense of how the, the threats to American women's bodies uh, has become much more real mm-hmm. uh, and, and much more threatening than before. Um, they have a sense of the ridiculous. They understand the ridiculousness. And... Um, yeah, it's, it's really deep because if you look around, uh, especially in Central Europe, uh, there are countries who also have this kind of Trump type of, um, this let's say, far right-wing, excessive, violent, and dangerous political ideology up in their mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Germany, um, France, uh, the Netherlands itself, uh, there are right-wing factions all over the industrialized and westernized world that are gaining power right now on a political level because they're tapping in to a group of people that's very real. How are you feeling specifically? I mean, I know you kind of talked about the general feeling. How is it affecting you and your family? Yeah, it's, it's been difficult. I mean... You know, it's already challenging for us. If you remove this question of uh, politics, um, it's already difficult to be far away from people that you love and want to support and want to participate in their daily growth and their daily life. You want to be close to that because it feels good. That's that's humanity. That's family. That's community. So we were already sort of like, okay, (laughs) you know, missing that aspect and feeling uh, removed and isolated because of that reality. And then you add this to the mix. So... You know, uh, a colleague of mine said to me, oh, uh, don't worry, you know, you're, you're safe here. Things, things can't happen to you. But the fact is that 
who I am is an extension of all those people uh, that that were responsible for raising me and and who have impacted me and contributed to to my personality, even my design vision. Like as a designer, who I am is based on the people that I've been exposed to that 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 raised me. So I can't be over here far from Trump or far from this uh, white supremacist movement and feel like everything's okay. You know, yeah, I'm I'm sort of physically safe at the moment, but that doesn't matter. What about my nephew? What about mm-hmm. my cousins? What about, you know, my, my aunts and my uncles and my homies from around the way? It's like, I, I there's very little that I can do to support everyone in this moment. Uh, and, and I am also traumatized. <laughs> I'm also scared in my physical body. And uh, it's, it's been a challenge to be um, distant uh, and to watch and to only be able to watch at this moment, uh, knowing that what I really want to do is participate in some sort of action, not necessarily saying, oh, let's reform this political system, but I do want to be on the street. If I see someone being harassed, I want to be in a street to to assist them in whatever way makes sense in that moment. But that's something I can't do from all the way over here. Do you think that it's happening even in, in a small way over there? Like, are, are you... Are, are people seeing, I don't know, I hate to even put it this way, are they seeing Trumpian actions happening over there? Uh, yeah, there, I, I haven't picked up on any indications that there are new Trumpian activities. I like Trumpian, I like that a lot. I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't seen any indications of new ones, but check it, Trumpian activities have been happening over here for a minute now. Yeah. A minute now. And, you know, even in the Netherlands, let's let's keep it real, like uh, hyper local for me. If I look back to this past summer when the quote unquote refugee crisis was happening. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Syrians, North and East Africans crossing the Mediterranean to come into these Central European countries. The reaction that the governments had on very high levels were very Trumpian, very Trumpian. There, I believe it was Hungary, even the, the leader of the nation of Hungary, when uh, commenting on the prospect of people illegally crossing his border to try and obtain citizenship, there, or not, not even citizenship, but uh, to try and obtain uh, like protection uh, as a refugee, asylum, that's the word I'm thinking, for, thinking of. So the leader of Hungary was like, oh, people want to come here from Syria, for example, for asylum. Well, I would like them to know that I will shoot them. <laughs> that you will be hunted down. Whoa. That you, you will not be able to survive in this country. Like literally leaders Yikes. of nations on that level. And this is very Trumpian, isn't it? It very well could be. I mean, honestly, we'll have to see. Um, I, I know that one of the things that's happening over here, which which feels, oh, I don't even know the best way to put it. It just feels slimy hmm. is... The fact that the media is already trying to mollify yes. the, the 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 anger and the, the emotion that people are feeling yeah. by like saying, Oh, everything's gonna be all right. Oh, we'll get through right. this. Right. Even though in large part they've been very complicit in the the misinformation that has contributed to this rise in power. Absolutely. And and you know what? Design has a role in that. Let's let's bring it let's bring it to where we at. Okay. Design has a role in that. 
the things and, and, and okay design and technology because now more than ever what we are able to understand about psychology is is a result of collecting data and having machines that can process information and make conclusions easier easier for us to achieve to attain and we use the understanding of human uh, psychology and the the functionality of human biology we use that information to tap into people's cognition don't we mm -hmm. the way we produce visual artifacts the way we um, have elements move across the screen are increasingly more and more uh, involving uh, the understanding of human biology so and, and also cognition uh, design is largely uh, being infused with conclusions and strategy based on data and technology and, and our understanding of humans based on uh, advances in those regions. Media machines, like media companies, their, their only uh, layer of interaction with other people is what is consumed visually. This is design, even if we're talking text, okay? I don't have to explain that to you or anyone listening to this show, that uh, text alone, you know, if we're talking about people reading information that, that, that is influencing them, mm -hmm. That information is received through a, a, a channel of design, and it is opinionated, and it is uh, it features techniques that people decide to use. So yeah, I agree with you. the The effort of the media now to try and change the psychology, to change the way people are thinking about this event, it it seems slimy and evil. It to me it also seems uh, hereditary. Like that's what media has always done. Uh -huh. And I just want to always be asking myself what my role is in that as a media creator, as a designer. Right. I mean, in, in UI, they would call these dark patterns. Exactly. You know, this 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 uh, this use of interface to, to, to trick people. And, you know, even here in, in the States and, and I, I don't I can't presume to know that it's like this in other countries. But uh, when we look at something even just as simple as the ballot and how mm. it's designed and how things are worded to exactly to possibly you know confuse people when they get to the ballot they might not know exactly what to to select i even know mm -hmm. you know here um one thing that i see a lot happening is people like for the presidential election for example people know they're going to go and vote for the president yeah. they don't know what else is on the ballot they don't know right. about the down ticket races they don't know sure. about the amendments or the referendums and they're worded, at least the amendments and referendums are, are worded in such a way where they're asking you six questions in a paragraph and you've right. either got to say yes to all of them or no to right. all of them. You're basically relying on alignment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Positional, <laughs> positional alignment. When I see, uh, when I see posters or any kind of materials that are exploring uh, civic issues whether they're promoting an event or, yeah, it's maybe a flyer about an organization, so a bit of uh, biographical information. When I see those pieces, they all, uh, well, they typically seem well-designed, you know. It seems like people sat down and thought about, okay, how can we communicate a message? Uh, how can we make it feel contemporary and relevant to the context it'll be used in or the context it will be consumed in? I can see that in most design here in general. So that also extends to civic works or things mm -hmm. representing civic work. But there's a completely different social dynamic, social and economic dynamic here because of the very comprehensive and very supportive socialism. <laughs> in other words, there is the lined 
the line uh, under which people can fall? No, that's not the best way to say it. A person who has lost access to resources, a person who is unlucky, a person who becomes ill uh, in the States, you, you, be, you can be very worried for this person because they can fall very far down. How many stories have we heard of people who had uh, some sort of catastrophic medical emergency and because of the cost of it, the rest of their life got ruined? Like they had, in order to heal, they had to sacrifice their life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's not a practice you'll find here because healthcare is is so comprehensive and affordable. It's not something, you don't, you don't see people so quick to become violent or even scared uh, on a daily basis because uh, people don't own weapons to the same degree. That's not a social aspect of, of this country. Um, if you do find yourself without money, without a job, if you do find yourself as uh, an asylum seeker here, fleeing from the horrors of another country, you may arrive here without any way to make money or any connections or any understanding of the language. But there's a social system here that says, okay, you, we're not going to let you fall uh, to, the, to the ground. We're not going to let you become homeless on the streets. <laughs> that's, that's not the bottom. The, bo the bottom here is, is much more hospitable. So... It, it's a different, um, there's a different sense of urgency around civic issues, to be honest. The, 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 there's no industry around um, nonprofit organizations that need to support the, the, uh, the people without voices. I mean, of course, there are people without voices, but okay, so they're living in social housing instead of, you know, following a, a path of, uh, I don't know, economic independence, okay? I don't know, it's, it's just a, such a completely different paradigm out here. Um, and it really makes what's happening in the States and other countries as well, it makes it look that much more ridiculous. How does this make you feel about coming back? Uh, it, it was a real question in my head before. Uh, the kind of question that is actually no, and, but you, see, you leave it open. Like, okay, if I had to choose now, I would say no, but I'm not beyond being convinced. That was my, my, my feeling on it before. In other mm -hmm. words, yeah, we could go back at some point, uh, but not right now. There's no need to go right now. And uh, today, well, you might imagine that the needle is no closer to wanting to go back <laughs> or, or seeing right. that it even makes sense. You know, and, and, okay, and I have, a, I have a, a little bit of a... A radical take on it, I think, based on the way people react to something I'm about to say. Okay. But, and, and I want to connect it to design again, actually. Um, I think we would agree that many successful designs are the result of people questioning what they feel is good design. Like you sit down, you work on something for hours, you toil over it. At some point, it feels good and you show it to people. And even you might be the most humble and, and uh, open-minded designer, but there's some part of you that, that really wants people to say, yes, I like that. That's good. Don't change a thing. That's the reality of a creative. But the, the harder reality of a creative is that often the best designs that you can be responsible for are the result of you trying something, having it fail, and then people telling you that's failed, think of it another way. Try to try to take another angle at it. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm doing not only with my design, but with this question of America. 
let me let me think about this from another angle. I've I have family that's been in America since the 1700s. We as a family, we are invested in that country. But why? Why are we invested in that country? Is it only because there's just we, you know we have loved ones there and we're spread all around, so that's just kind of where we are? Is that the only reason? Well, that's like saying a design. That's like saying all you know headers in web apps should use hamburger menu navigation because well it's out there. People are using it. You have to you have to question that kind of uh, rationale in design and also I think in life and in politics and in in these really big and hard questions. My wife and I decided to leave New York three years ago because we were leaving the house every day feeling legitimately concerned for the safety of our bodies. My wife, as a woman in the streets, all the harassment. Uh, as a black person in the streets, the, the threat from the police and institutional violence. This is, this is a real concern for us. It was three years ago, and it's got to be a real concern for people today, you know, 10x. So the question we asked ourselves then, and it's a question I ask myself now when I think about the U.S., is why are we as a people so invested in holding on to that place? Why? Okay, I understand family. I understand, oh, this is my home. This is what I've known. But we're, we're yeah. humans. We're adaptable. We need to be asking ourselves hard questions right now. Well, I know that certainly <laughs> I, I was just thinking right after the election uh, results really started to come out how the Canadian immigration website <laughs> crashed. And, and and there are actually several people I know that are actively like seriously actively considering where else in the country can I move? And it's it's made me think about it in a way also because I yeah, I mean, what, do I have the, the, the wherewithal to go to another country if I wanted to? I mean, I've got a passport. Mm -hmm. I have marketable skills. Mm -hmm. I, I could make that happen. Yeah. Um, or, like you said, you have to ask the tough question. Like, yeah, could I just decide to say, you know what? Y'all got it. I'm out. Mm -hmm. Or what can I do here to improve the condition mm -hmm. that clearly is going to get worse mm -hmm. just based on the rhetoric that this person has spouted for the past 18 months yeah. but but okay but it's it but but it's the level of investment like yeah. you said you have to ask yourself how invested are you yeah well uh, also i have to ask um are we uh, can we draw any conclusions yet from four 400 years of history in the u.s uh actually let's let's take it even farther back Look at the North okay. North Dakota um, pipeline access situation, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, so I'm you can't see me, but I'm shaking my head hard over here because I'm thinking about my native brothers and sisters. I'm thinking about the First Nations people, a powerful people, a connected people historically, people who were in the Americas first. They had the they had the pole position. They had the advantage of being there yeah. first, and. Let's zoom ahead hundreds, okay, let's take it thousands of years into the future, which is, brings us to today. What is the condition of First Nations people right now? What's the condition of those powerful, connected, deep humans right now in North America? Their condition is deplorable. It is depressing. It is, they've been destroyed as a people. So what I'm asking is, can we look at the history of America 
and draw a conclusion that sounds something like, maybe it's not worth fighting for this space. Maybe the idea mm. that we should fight a power is, yes, it connects to a sense of pride and this idea of us always being able to be resilient and powerful. We are that. That's in our DNA. That's Africanness. We're always going to have mm. that. But is that all that we ever have? Because if I look at the history of black people and Africans in America, that's all we've ever been allowed to have is the need to resist, to fight, and to be resilient after getting taken down again and again and again. Yeah. <laughs> Man. No, that's, that's, it's, that's, uh, no, that is, that is definitely something to, uh, to think about. I mean, I, I'm, I'm even just thinking of, I, I think I saw someone mention this on Twitter when they were talking about how, uh, God, I'm trying to remember what the exact thing was. I'm actually going to pull it up mm. so I don't get it okay. wrong. Um, someone was saying, oh, I'm going to make sure that I find this right one. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to find it because I'm scrolling through here. But it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, y'all keep, you know, people keep saying that, oh, well, black people have survived worse right. in terms of, of, you know, what's going mm-hmm, on in this country. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how much I'm, you know, maybe as a black person, I'm not trying to see what my upper threshold of right. is. Right. Maybe what I've been through enough in this black body, yeah. in this life, on this earth. Yeah. Maybe maybe I shouldn't be trying to to press my luck with that. Indeed, I won't say press my luck. I want to say I don't want to say it that way. But I I you know how much do you really want to know how much you can right. take? And and why why is that a measure of the value of us as a people? Right. I mean I get, I get it in the context of a group of people surviving something so horrific as a transatlantic slave uh, f- phenomenon. The diaspora. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like, wow, if you look at us, damn, we are some survivors. Of course we are. But we're so many other things, too. And 2016, for me, 2016 has been that year that shows me in so many different ways about the multidimensionality of black people. And 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 for and it feels like for so many years we've been denied the, the ability and the, the strength and the opportunity to represent that aspect of black humanity so now i'm being asked to forget all that actually and just go back to that old one that one that feels like it's from the 1600s where you you the only way you can see tomorrow is if you uh, sustain the pain of a of a uh uh, you know a a whip on your back it's like (laughs) Mm -hmm. what happened to our most multi-dimensionality actually Yeah, that's oh my god, that's, and I mean I, I I'm it's certainly something that I am thinking about because, again, like you say, you've I, I'm in a I, just personally I'm in a position where if I wanted to make that happen, I probably could. I mean, it wouldn't be something I could instantly just pick up and make happen. But in the next year, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like if I see what's what's this first year gonna look like because I know that, uh, you know, President Elect Trump has already put out his 100 days of what he wants to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
it's like the Red Wedding <laughs> from Game of Thrones. Yo, like it's it really is. It, and and his his cabinet suggestions or like his plan the people people he's planning to to try and vet. Like whoa. Yeah, like it's it's. But yeah, like you said, do you want to be? Do you want to stick around for the? The purge? Yeah. I don't know. And, and look, this isn't. There's even a very, very significant historical precedent amongst Black folks of us getting up and getting out of there when when things got crazy. I'm specifically referring to the Great Migration. It started in 1910, around there, about six million Black folks moving from the south of the U.S. to Chicago, uh, New York, L.A. Mostly, right? Um, okay. The Great Migration. It lasted until, I don't know, maybe like 60, 1960, something like 1950. So a number of years where black people, and I'm talking about six millions of us, moved. We got out of there because mm-hmm. we were suddenly able to. <laughs> the only thing that had stopped us before was physical chains and the threat of, of violence. And uh, at a certain point, the political climate changed. Historical factors allowed us to start to move. And we moved. Black folks got out of there. So I don't even, you know, if black folks start to move again right now as a result of this political climate, I don't think it's, it's unprecedented. It's just that just like everything, if you compare today's version of the thing uh, versus the early part of the, uh, the last century's version of the thing. Let's take communication, for example. People still talk to each other, just like they did in 1910, but now we do it in vastly different ways. People yeah. still find their freedom, like they did in 1910 in the Great Migration, but we can do it now in different ways. So we, you know, we need to ask those hard questions. Like, why am I, why am I doing this right now? What, what is available to me? And, but you, you mentioned something that made me think about privilege. Like, what I heard you saying was that you have the ability, which we recognize that not everyone has. Not everyone has yeah. the financial, uh, like, uh, financial resources. Not everyone has the, the, the social arrangement. Like, some people are uh, imprisoned. <laughs> what are we going to do mm-hmm. with all the folks in prison? So you're right. There's an, there's there's also that aspect. Like we have some of us, only some of us have the kind of privilege that can allow us to casually say, "All right, I'm moving to Canada." By the way, did you see Erica Joy's piece on Medium about moving to Canada or thinking about Canada? No, I did not see that. What is, what was that okay, about? Okay, well, I mean, she's she she definitely had a political um, leaning. You know, it was like a bit of a political piece about her. Uh, her understanding of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And uh, in the context of that, she was sort of uh, imagining what it would be like to make the decision to move to Canada. Also exploring some of the challenges of, of wanting to move to Canada to, to solve this kind of a problem. It was, it was a, um, I enjoyed the read, like I do all of her pieces. The thing about this one, though, that caught me was all of the responses to her piece. Now, Medium, I always considered to be pretty, um, uh, like the commenting there, I, I never really had problems with it. I, I could read Divergent Opinion, and I didn't feel like people were trying to attack each other. Uh, it seemed pretty civil. Civil, I guess, is a good word. Uh-huh. But I looked at the comments to Erica Joy, this black woman, uh, an engineering director, I think she is, this black professional woman 
voicing her political um, ideas and, and opinions and thinking about leaving the country to preserve her safety and her sanity. And the comments to her thoughts were pure vitriol from people on Medium who were, you know, clearly identifiable, uh, <laughs> people saying things like, I'm paraphrasing, but things like, uh, good, get out of here. <laughs> okay. Pe- wow. People saying things like, I hope Donald Trump comes to your house and drags you into Canada and leaves your ass there. This, th- these kinds of comments on Medium. I've never seen that kind of commenting on Medium. And I think it, 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 it was really indicative. It was really indicative of the shift. Wow. I mean, she works for Slack. Mm-hmm. Slack does have a Vancouver office. She goes to Canada. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's close enough to the states where, you know, she could pop back in yeah. and out. It's not that far from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. Really, really deep right now. You know, it made me think of um, a few other events, obviously 9-11, but I also thought about Ch- Challenger, the Challenger shuttle exploding with the teacher on board. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought about uh, the tsunamis, and like the Indian Ocean tsunami, the Japanese tsunami, and I thought about the Haitian earthquake. Because for me, in my lifetime, these were moments where something outside of my, my little bubble, something in the world happened on such a scale and it and it it was so visceral and real and a and a turning point in my personal history um, that it, these are things I'll never forget. And you know the the election of this guy uh, and the change in the in the house and the change in the Congress, uh, the shifting of, uh, of 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 people of the way people express themselves towards others. Uh, this is very visceral to me, and mm-hmm. and I think is an opportunity for us to be honest. I think it's an opportunity for us to engage with the moment we're in, um, because I think largely we're sort of we're we're being overwhelmed by the media we're creating and consuming. I mean that's not that's not a rare perspective, but what it means, for example, is like in this moment we are so surprised that we are. We're knocked off of our feet. We're 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 traumatized because of the the bubble we put ourselves in. Um, and maybe this is an opportunity to either embrace the the sort of the clarity of vision we now have, or it's an opportunity to harness the emotional and intellectual and and I'll even take it to the metaphysical level, like the, the things that we're all experiencing right now inside of us. Harness those things. Like, don't don't try to suppress it. Like, we started the conversation talking about how media is trying to spin this to get people to be calm and to be placated and relaxed. You know, let's yeah. get back to you know the normal, right? Let's back to the status quo. Right. Let's not forget. Let's not let go of this uh, very strong and visceral reaction we're having. Let's make use of it. Let's direct it towards something. I'm not. Maybe it's yeah. Maybe it's you trying to change some aspect of the electoral college system because I hope everyone sees now what a farce that is. But maybe it's also us directing this energy towards the the media we're creating. You're doing that with this conversation on your podcast. I mean, you've been doing that for years. But f- for me, it's made me think about what I can do. And and amongst the the different creative things that I do, the creative activities that I engage with on a daily basis, how can I channel 
what I'm feeling right now into that work and into those things because this is a significant moment and I don't want us to to lose it in the noise of the pundits and the and in the, and in the, the fear because the fear mm-hmm. makes us want to go back to that normal that we knew even if it was still dangerous it was just masked and described and designed in a different way well and it also makes me think about you know the fact that you know we do have to speak up we have to say something do something mm-hmm. uh because i think how can i put this uh we certainly don't want to be silent because no. of course you know you always keep hearing about how silence equals you know consent with what's going on with a particular issue or things like that mm-hmm. and i know from the design community that tends to be the default response when it comes to issues that have to deal with social justice yeah. is is silent well let, let, me, let me take that back the default response seems to be silence about issues of social justice if they happen here okay if they happen in turkey mm. or egypt mm. Or, you know, another country overseas. <laughs> a safe distance away. <laughs> a safe distance away. Designers will 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 hop to it and start creating things. But, you know, police brutality here. Yeah. Voter disenfranchisement here. Right. Uh, you know, whatever is going to happen when Trump gets into office and starts wielding power. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it makes me think about what designers can do to to step up and say something because I don't want us to be silent. It got, it got me actually thinking about this conversation I had Mm. with, uh, and I keep referencing this conversation with her because it was so good. Uh, Sella Lewis was on the show recently. I listened to that episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and we kind of had this conversation about how even during the civil rights movement where there was clearly, you know, a a huge divide between white America and everyone Mm -hmm. else, particularly black Americans. Um, and how a lot of the designers of the time, a lot of the big name designers were just kind of business as usual right. and and weren't necessarily talking about or designing things towards uh, the movement. And so, right. I mean, you have someone like Emery Douglas, who clearly is born of the mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. and his work clearly is, is intrinsically linked to that time. Yeah. Um but you, I mean, I don't know if there's like a Milton Glaser piece or a Massimo Vignelli piece, you know. And even now, when we look at at our big designers, we look at our 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 you know Jessica Hishes and and Eddie Opara and and uh, Paula Scher or whatever. I mean, are they? Why you know is are the big names of the design community going to say something? Do they feel like they can say something? That they should say something? Because to not say anything means that you think that this is fine right you think it's fine or you are you don't think it affects you yeah right the election to me seems like um people uh people voted particularly white american or white women they voted as a block saying that donald trump was no worse for them than hillary and now, considering that Donald Trump is apparently a rapist and uh, gropes women and is uh, committed sexual assault and, and revels in it, considering that, even considering that, white women felt that that didn't trump or that didn't uh, outweigh the other advantages that they will get with a person like Trump and his regime in office. So a lot of the design community is actually women. And... And actually, white white women. A lot of the design community are, are white women. Mm-hmm. Of course, white white men as well. So these people actually yeah. have an interest 
uh, that can be served by someone like Trump and the shift in the political ideology in government. So do they even have an interest beyond what may seem like them uh, wanting to appear, uh, you know, humanitarian and liberal and, you know, likable by all? They might not have a legitimate interest in speaking up and protecting those who are now under threat. I mean, that's... <laughs> I hope it's not. God, that's sad. If that is the case, I hope it's not either. But that's really sad if that is the case. Uh, I hope it's not. I mean, like you said, we, we've seen more more silence than, um, than, than sort of non-activism. Because, yeah, indeed, we see people... Uh, um, what is it like uh, express solidarity we see people express solidarity uh, with others around the world when when situations are bad whether that's yeah. a political badness or an environmental badness so we know that design the design community has a voice uh, and I'm also I'm looking forward to seeing how it will manifest but maybe maybe it's more like okay how are we gonna manifest the the design community's voice uh, based on our own voices uh, maybe, yeah, sorry. Mm. No, 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 I was going to say that's, and that's even interesting to think of uh, when you look at design media and whose voices mm. are the ones that are always being put in the mm-hmm. forefront. It's not from people of color. Yeah. yeah. It's mainly from yeah. white men. But you know what? This, <laughs> there's a big part of me that really, um, I want to try to start ignoring that question, although it's really big inside of me as well. Uh, I want to try to uh-huh. ask myself the hard questions without considering something like the white gaze or the gaze of others outside of our community. Um, I want to try, even in, in terms of my design, you know, when I sit down to start a design project, I always start with inspiration. I always look at what other people whose work I respect, what they're doing in that design context. And it, and it works for me. That's a good process. But it's also me starting my creative process outside of myself it's often efficient it often makes sense um and i often get good ideas and good results from that process but now that i'm thinking about how we do a creative process how we design something that speaks to our needs maybe we really have to start you know without considering what's happening outside of us we have to start inside of us inside of our community and just assume that we don't have the support we don't have the allies from other communities i mean i think we will from other brown skin folks because we're all in the same boat a bit more now or at least it's clear to more people that we're in the same boat but my overall point is that i think we have what we need without um having to be concerned or uh even to wait up or to hold up and and allow others to catch up to us who are not inside of our community i think we have what we need 2016 has shown Mm -hmm. me that already uh, yeah. Or... I think that's a good place to end it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your. No, that I I I don't really have have anywhere to go from there. Yeah, but no, thank, thank you for sharing for, too. Uh, I mean, for sharing. You know, when, when you when you reached out to me, I was like, yeah, let's let's talk. Anyone I can I can um, get a chance to talk to about this, it helps me. It's it's kind of like um, teaching. Like uh, you hear teachers say when they get to talk about their ideas, um, when they have to present their ideas in a way that's clear enough for others to understand, they also 
uh, work through those ideas and have a better understanding and a more uh, nuanced and sophisticated understanding of those ideas simply by having to organize their thoughts about them. And that's also why I look forward to, to talking with you. It gives me a chance to actually talk these ideas out loud, organize them inside my head, uh, and, and make sure that they actually resonate with me uh, and that they're not someone else's ideas or that, um, yeah, that I'm not just sort of being led or influenced by something outside of me. So it's been a, um, an important and healing conversation for me, to be honest. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Kaid Jacobs and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Kaid and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 12 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Their attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. Just search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Band Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two. It really bumps the show up in those iTunes rankings for design podcasts so more people can find out about us. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work that we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. And just before we go, I want to wish all of you out there happy holidays, Merry Christmas, joyous Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, happy new year, all of that. We're going to be taking next week off, so there won't be a new episode next week. It'll be a great chance to kind of catch up on any past episodes in case you've missed anything. And we will be back here on January the 2nd with a new episode. So again, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for really making this such an amazing year for me, both personally and professionally with Provision Path. And we'll see you next time.